Alright, now for the last, my last talk. I want to begin by reading from Genesis chapter 2. And then I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 3 just a bit. And then we'll, uh, I'll start talking about it. Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 18. It may sound like I'm going to stop at some odd places, but I have reasons for that. Alright, Genesis 2, 18. Hear the word of our God. Then Yahweh God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And then in chapter 3, beginning verse 8, And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool or in the spirit of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. And Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had together and and been able to get to know one another and get to uh, meditate on your word. And I pray that as we meditate this evening, the truth of your word would sink deeply into our hearts, that we would learn to love it, we would learn to obey it in everything. We would learn to think through everything that's said and to judge what is good and what is true and what is right and beautiful. And I do pray that you would instill the truth within all of our hearts. Help us to love it and be drawn to it. And where there is error, I pray that you would help us to discern those things as well. And by your Spirit, guide us into truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure, uh, authors Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt uh, work with three major bad ideas they, that, that have deleterious effects on the American culture of the I generation or Generation Y, those born after 1995. One of those bad ideas is the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Okay? Gen X parents helped promote this with, the, with a great amount of overprotection. And couple this with all the ways that have been developed to protect ourselves and everything from hygiene, think about hand sanitizers, to all sorts of safety equipment to ride bicycles and beyond. And you can see that we have basically created a bubble-wrapped culture your generation, maybe not you specifically, but your generation, pretty much a bubble-wrapped culture. There are aspects of this that haven't been good. For instance, not being exposed to microbes that help develop immune systems has led to more compromised immune systems, increasing allergies. You should have eaten mud when you were a child. Okay? Those are, that was good for you. All right? But... It, Huh? Yeah, that's right. Those those things those things actually help you in some ways. All right, and that, that kind of freaks some of us out. We're kind of germaphobes now. But this 
what Lukanoff and Hyatt call safetyism, has had emotional effects as well. Anything that is a struggle or a challenge is not looked at as a challenge to overcome or simply to deal with, but as a threat to my well-being and something that has to be defeated. This has resulted in the development of, and we talked about it in the question and answer time uh, earlier today, this, is deve- this has resulted in the development of safe spaces in places like Starbucks and college campuses especially, all around Western culture. And any idea that is different from mine is a threat. Look at speakers, conservatives, who have tried to come on campus to speak. They have protested until they've shut them down because anything they say is a threat. The person, the person is a bully. He's trying to destroy me. The person and their ideas must be eliminated in order to be safe. And so safety has become an idol at whose altar we have sacrificed in order to feel protected. But, all idol, but as all idols do, it has let us down. Safetyism has let us down. We live in a world created by God who created us to grow up into His likeness by facing challenges and overcoming them. Life is not safe. And neither is Aslan. Idols, like sin itself, are always perversions of something true. Safety is good. Safetyism, worshiping safety as that which will ultimately protect me, is bad. This longing for safety and the perversion of it reveals a deep, created need in us for security. That is, safetyism has perverted something. It has perverted that need that we have for security. Security was an original gift of God's grace. Man was created in right relationship with God and was safe with Him. He had no reason to be afraid. Now what is security? Well, objectively, it is the condition of being safe. Shielded from harm. Subjectively, it is the feeling of being safe. The two don't always jive with one another. A person may be perfectly safe, but still feel insecure or unsafe. And then there is the, the idiot who feels no fear and puts himself objectively in objectively unsafe conditions. Alright? At this point, understand that security, like the other gifts, is both objective and subjective. Security has present as well as future dimensions that play off of one another and play into meaning and purpose in life. Security is the knowledge and experience that I am safe and I will be safe, that I will survive ultimately unharmed, experiencing peace and joy, that I will endure and thrive so that all of this means something. Because if I'm not safe, if I don't survive, what's the point? No security means this is the end. And all this is for naught. When you don't think that you or what you do will survive and thrive, you lose heart. There's no purpose. We need security to know that there is a future, or even a better future, that feeds that feeds our present hope and strength to endure. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.58. 
First Corinthians 15 is a grand exposition of the, 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 the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ and His people. And for 57 verses, Paul just goes through some very thick theology about the resurrection, about the bodily resurrection of Christ and our resurrection. And then, to pull it all together, at the end he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's an odd way to end this chapter on the resurrection. Know that your works will endure. Know that you're going to endure. Know that you and all that you do are safe. The fact that our future is secure through the resurrection of Christ and that we and our works in Christ have a secure future gives meaning and motivation in the present with the hope of the future driving us forward unafraid. The same could be said for what Paul says in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It is because of that gift of security for the future that our lives have meaning both objectively. God has declared that everything about our lives has an ultimately good purpose. And subjectively, we experience hope in the fact that what we are doing matters because it will endure. Because we will endure and all that we do will endure. So God grants this gift of security in relationship to Himself from the beginning. If man stays in right relationship with God doing what he's made to do, then he is secure. He and all that he does will be safe. Because God and man were in an unbroken relationship of love, that perfect love casts out all fear. And as long as Adam was loyal to God, he didn't have to be afraid. His God would protect him. He was his refuge. He was his strength. This promise and assurance of safety was declared and experienced in a specific way not long after Adam's creation. He could, for example, trust God to put him into a deep sleep, even a death-type sleep, without being afraid of what would happen to him. Think about it. When you sleep, you are completely vulnerable to whatever is awake and alert around you. That's why it's dangerous to sleep at camps. <laughs> With other people. <laughs> right? Right. In Psalm 4, David speaks... That's why I don't have a roommate. Uh, in Psalm 4, David speaks of the security that God provides in and around sleep. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. Sleep is the most vulnerable position we can be in. Adam had no reason to fear. There were animals roaming all around him in a world he barely knew. But he didn't fear. He had no reason to fear, like a baby being cared for by his parents. If he relied upon God, he would be safe. Even if God took him through the difficult, such difficulties as ripping his entire side off. Which he basically did. So man is created secure in relationship with God. He's created unafraid. God is a place of safety. He's a place of refuge. And as a part of who he is, man will always seek to find security, to eliminate threats and thus eliminate fear. So when sin enters the picture, the pursuit, this pursuit becomes twisted. 
Man seeks security, but he seeks it out of sinful fear, and he seeks it in places where he shouldn't. Listen to what Adam said when God found him. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Afraid. Afraid of what? Adam hid himself seeking security and fear. He tried to fortify himself against the gaze of God. Fear motivated him to hide himself from God, to seek security apart from God's provision, and really to seek security from God himself. Left in our sins, we will trample others to do anything that we have to do in order to pursue security to alleviate fear. Look it off and Hyde gives several illustrations about how protests arose on the campuses of Yale, Claremont, McKenna, and Evergreen over pretty innocuously worded emails that students took as offensive and threatening. These protests cost people their livelihoods. People got fired. But that doesn't matter. They were threats. They had to be eliminated. Nobody could say anything because I feel threatened. Shame and fear are closely linked. We are anxious, filled with fear about our safety. The greatest fear that we have, and the one that can control us most, is death itself. It binds us in all of its manifestations. It binds us in slavery. The writer of Hebrews says that through the fear of death, we are all our lifetimes subject to slavery, to bondage. We can see how this fear grips many people in our society as they strive to maintain youth and to conquer death somehow. Inordinate obsessions with diets and exercise and medicine that are there to protect me from death, that are going to shield me, that are going to provide me a safe place. To secure power over others, people will use fear. And because we long for security, many people will submit to it. Why do people stay in these tyrannous relationships? There are governments of the world that control people through fear, providing themselves as the answer for our security. This plays on a basic need of man and, and, and the sin that causes us to be in fear, to be afraid. Our insecurities move us then to fortify ourselves. Granted, because of sin in others, we have to take some measures of self-protection. And that is a proper thing to do. Safety is not a bad thing in itself. Taking reasonable measures to protect ourselves is proper. But virtues turn into vices when taken to the extreme. There is a point at which fear begins to control us so that no security system is enough and no amount of money in the bank will do. I am stressed out. I'm gripped by fear. If everything is not, not just like I think it ought to be because I don't feel safe. My security is being found in being accepted by this or that person or this or that group. I fear their rejection and that fear controls my action so that I can maintain my security. I'll do whatever they want me to do just so that I don't have to be afraid. I'm safe with them. That's what I think anyway. Being afraid drives me to seek that security. And think of what happens Think of what happens when a little child is awakened during the night by a bad dream. What does he do? He runs to a safe place. He wakes up mama. Don't wake up daddy. Daddy's hard to wake up. But he goes and wakes up mama. 
Like envy and trying to cover up our shame, fear will cause us to trample people in order to find the security. If it's me or you, it's going to be me. And I'll do what I have to do in order to remain safe. It's like the two guys who were in the woods camping and they saw this great big bear approaching. One man started putting on his running shoes. The other man said, what are you doing? You can't outrun that bear. He said, I don't have to outrun that bear. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) Right? Some of that may catch up with you later. (laughs) All right. We want to feel safe, whether it's security in our bodies, from being physical, from physical harm or our emotions, we we fear not having security, and, and fear drives us. The idolization of security, as I mentioned, has the opposite effect of what was intended. It just produces more fear. Instead of being safe, there's a there's a rise in your generation of anxiety. You need to know what's going on in the culture. You need to know how that's going to influence you. There's a rise in your generation of anxiety and depression caused, uh, and, the, and the depression caused by it. The suicide rate, especially among females, has skyrocketed in the last 10 years. It's been high among males, and it was lower among females, but now females are, are moving up quickly. The full brunt of this may not be hitting this group because we're somewhat, of a, we're somewhat safe in our little enclaves to a certain extent. But this is the cultural air that you're breathing as you participate in the culture, which I'm not saying withdraw from the culture. But as you participate in it, you just need to be aware of what's going on around you. As with other distortions of glory and righteousness, the distortion of security makes you powerless that makes you impotent to do anything worth doing, relating and taking dominion as you were created to do. If you're filled with fear, you will not act in taking any kind of perceived risks because you're scared. You're scared you're going to lose your security. If I follow Christ in that way, I will lose my friends. I will lose those surroundings that make me feel comfortable and safe. If I take a chance to have this relationship or to pursue that job, I might fail. And it's better to be right here and stagnant than to take that risk. Fear will paralyze you from acting in faith, from moving forward and accepting the deaths God enacts in order to bring you into a new, transformed, resurrected experience of life. See, death has many forms. Marriage is death. Okay, You die to your old relationships and you're resurrected in a new one. Going to college is a death. Those types of things in our lives, making these transitions are deaths. They're deaths to old things and resurrection to new things. And fear of death can keep you in bondage to not moving on. Scared of what God might not do for you in the future. Scared that He's somehow going to let go of you. So, fear of death to your present situation will keep you hanging on to the past because you don't find security in God and His promise of resurrection. Which again applies more than, uh, more than to our final state after death. Sin fearfully holds on to old thinking that this is your safe place. This new stuff is unknown, uncertain, and therefore you are insecure. What you need to understand is that God has provided security in Christ. 
In Christ, we are secure. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. United to Christ by faith, you are preserved and secured up to the point of and through death itself. Earlier, I quoted a snippet from Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Inasmuch, then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him, who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Not only must we realize that death is not a threat, we go beyond that. Death is not just a negatively not a threat. Death is our servant. Death serves you as Christian. Paul's, Paul tells the Corinthians, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's, Christ is God's. Death belongs to us as a servant. Everything in this life belongs to you in Christ and serves your ultimate good. You are secure. You can't get more secure than that. And through death, Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death, the devil, and freed us from the subjection to the fear of death. That's why we can sing with confidence, Psalm 4, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. If you're not afraid of losing your life, then you really don't have anything to be afraid of, do you? The worst they can do is kill you. And that's your servant. So when you are following Christ, you don't have to fear the rejection of friends and family. <clears throat> even if father and mother forsake you, even though as hard as that is, Psalm 27 says, Yahweh will take you up. There's a way He provides for you. You have a relationship with Him and find your security in that relationship. He is your ultimate security. So that no matter what happens in this life, you are secure. Without fear of losing your security, without the fear of losing everything, you can then act to do what God has called you to do with relative fearlessness. So, to kind of bring some things to a point here, how, 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 let's see how the sinful pursuit of security expresses itself in our lives. Let's narrow our focus down here so that we can notice the sinful pursuit of security in our lives in general, and then we'll look at it, <clears throat> how it manifests itself in men and women. Generally, and just to reiterate what I said earlier, the sinful manifestation of security is that we are gripped by fear of loss. We're gripped by fear of loss. Your life is controlled by this inordinate fear of the loss of friends, family, finances, image, and such the like. Thoughts of loss control you. They, thoughts of loss overwhelm you. They paralyze you. What would happen if I lost this person? What would happen if I lost this money? What would happen if I do this? And you're gripped by it. It drives you. And it causes you, and it causes you, it can cause you to make very bad decisions. Unwise decisions. The loss of the window of opportunity as regards your age. 
if I reach blank age and haven't done blank, my life is over. If that's your attitude, this kind of fear has gripped you. The X can be vocation, it can be a certain amount of money, it can be meeting and marrying, it can be having children, it can be whatever. Fear of loss can drive you to find security in places you shouldn't, making unwise decisions, jumping at first available, though poor, opportunities. So be careful. A second general way sin expresses itself in this area is fear of failure or rejection. You can't try new things or take wise, measured risks because the fear of failing in the endeavor or being rejected and hurt keep you paralyzed. You're scared. As I quoted, as I talked about in one, I think my first lecture, I referred to Matthew 25, <clears throat> the parable of the talents. The, the unfaithful servant who went and buried his talent that the master gave him did so because he was afraid. He was scared. What if I invest this and lose it? What's the master going to do? The others went out and took the risk. He refused to do so, and when he when the master came back, he called him a wicked servant. Don't be afraid, I gave you a task. Go out and do it. You think God's gonna just beat you up if you if you're if, if you're seeking to serve him and things just don't turn out like you think they ought to? You think he's you think he's that do you think he's that kind of God? So what if I do it and lose everything? <laughs> well, he's not going to let you do that. You invest in him. You invest in his kingdom. It's not a loss. Don't be afraid. God's not like that. All right. So these are two general common ways in both sexes, but the pursuit of security expresses itself differently in sexes as well. In men, where are men? And there's again, there's overlap in what we've been talking about. I want to pound it home. Where are men prone to seek security? Sinfully. Alright? Once you recognize it, how do you pursue your calling as a man? Remember, God gave you two tasks. Protect and work. Guard and work. Which includes provision, but it's not limited to it. Men like power. Brought that up. And we will tend to sinfully seek security in the pursuit of power. Fearing the loss of power. Remember, I told you in glory that we are to pursue these types of things. But twisting, if we twist that kind of glory, we can start finding our security in those things. And we ought not. We ought to pursue power. Nothing wrong with that. But then our sinful hearts many times twist that and says, This is where your security is. It's in your power. It's in your position. And fearing the loss of that power will mean for you that life is meaningless. Seeking security through conquest, whether sexual, financial, or physical. This is how we we feel like we measure up and we deal with insecurity. We We are made by God to control or rule our environment to a degree. 
And so we can tend to fear the loss of control. Loss of control brings anxiety to us. Anxiety is the space between what I have control over and what I think I ought to have control over. But don't. We are also performance-oriented because we are made to work and produce things. And that's how we're measured. We're made to, we're made to, to make everything from babies to buildings. I am somebody, I am secure, because I can perform. This is right at some level, but twisted by sin. What happens when we're physically injured? Have I lost all my meaning and purpose in life? I lose power, at least physical power. But if I lose my job, is life now meaningless? What if I get rejected by a girl? What happens if I grow old? Pastor Hatton. <laughs> he just woke up because he heard his name. He dozes off sometimes. <clears throat> Men feel secure when they feel powerful. And any threat to this power causes us to be afraid if that is where we find our place of ultimate security. And it's a struggle even when we don't. My life means nothing if I can't do blank. Or don't accomplish blame. What is that? Now related, because men tend to find their identity and security in performance and power, the fear of, fa- the fear of failure, losing the security of the present feeling of, sec- the present feeling of security, paralyzes us from taking necessary risks required of dominion, a thing for which you are created. Men, your calling and drive to take dominion through risk-taking is greater than that of a woman toward the world. Men are the ones called to risk their lives in protection, for example, to be on the front line. This is not to say that the woman doesn't take risk at all. Women take, don't take risk at all. They do. They take a lot, but their risks are different. Ours involves a lot of physical stuff that we could lose a lot of stuff. I mean, you think think about warriors throughout the ages. Military guys. They go put their lives on the line. But we are made to take we we are made to take greater risks that involve danger in taking the dominion that we are called to take. We're the ones who are called to take to face the serpent, not to throw our not to throw not not to throw our wives or women out in front of us. We're the ones who are supposed to be killing him or be killed by him as shown by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are the ones taking risks in this way. This can be a smaller risk for pursuing a young lady because you're afraid of his daddy. Okay. Or her daddy, excuse me. <laughs> Long type of Presbyterian there. <laughs> You can be afraid of rejection, so you, you don't take the risk of pursuing. What if she says no? What if she says no? Is it going to be the end of your life? Come on, man. You know, you know who you are as a single man, and you desire a relationship, but you don't like the idea of leaving this place of security where mama thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You don't like the idea of having another female reject you. Bless your heart. 
little aphorism here. Rejection is better than regret. Okay? You try. You, you took a risk. You cast your bread on the water, as Ecclesiastes said. You took the risk. Rejection may hurt, but it teaches us. You're not going to break. You're not that fragile. You, you won't have to live with the regret of what might have been. Because you went out there and you, you took the chance. So God has called you. And by the way, men, daddies of these young ladies respect will respect you. Not, not when you bow up to them, but when you boldly approach them. That, that's a good sign. Alright? Shows you're a good man. Or at least a man. Alright? God has called you to take proper risks, whether in love or work, and it's the, it's the only way to progress. Hanging on to the present situation as if this will be your security is putting your trust in the wrong place for security. You will find yourself feeling meaningless because you are not trusting the security that God promises you that allows and encourages you to take the risk necessary for proper dominion. Now, as I mentioned in another, in the, in the uh, talk on justification or uh, righteousness, and it's related, it's relate, so this is related to approval, men need respect, and so they will tend to find their security in being respected by others. This, I am who I am because I'm respected by others and I'm secure and I've got to maintain those types of relationships. This expresses itself, as I'm going to point out, differently with women, but we do, this is how we want to be secure. Men want to know that their lives have relevance, that they know, and they know that through signs of respect from others. This, this relates to the other areas mentioned. As I said, there's overlap. Think about the guy who walks into the gym that is muscularly huge. He is immediately looked on with respect. And girls tend to give him some attention too. And we look at him and we, we begin to feel small. We begin to feel insecure. The man who drives up in an expensive car with that for clothes, he's looked at and respected by other men. And we, so we feel secure or we feel insecure when we're around others who are better than us or who look better than us in some way. Again, pro, this is proper because it relates to our mission in the world and how God created us. And that is, we need that, we need that respect. We want that respect. But fear of losing respect and insecurity that my life means something will make me seek it through, number one, being outrageous or boisterous. Generally, guys who are trying to show out reveal a great amount of insecurity. They're trying to show out and it's a great amount of fear. Guys who are confident don't have to show out. They just quietly do. Don't go talk about it. Don't, have, don't, don't go tell everybody about it. Just do it. Just be confident and do it. A man also can bury himself in his job, climbing the ladder out of fear of losing respect. He can be overly competitive. Again, competition is good and healthy. It makes us better. It's iron sharpening iron. But we can become so obsessed with it that we begin to find our security in being the best. i got to be the best. But what happens when you realize that there's always someone out there better than you? And there always is. Someone who lifts more. Someone who runs faster. Someone who makes more. Someone who's smarter than you. 
You can't idolize any one of these as the place where your security is found, where you find your identity, where you find your, your, your complete security, investing your future security in temporary treasures. Once all of these things are put in proper relationship to the security you have in Christ, you can pursue all of them without fear of loss of any of them because even your failures and rejections are serving your secure relationship with God somehow. In the end, none of what you do is in vain. Because you are secure in Christ, you pursue greater power, whether physically, financially, or culturally. You seek to bring the situations of your life under your control and rule them well while submitting to the reality that your control is limited. Take wise, measured risks. Be brave. Be strong. It's interesting that the way uh, David talks to Solomon and then Paul talks to the Corinthians. He says, uh, David says to Solomon, be a man. And with that, he carries this whole idea of be brave, be strong, be courageous, be protector, take wise, measure risks. You and your future are secure in Christ and none of what you do is in vain. But what about women? Women created, uh, God created women to complement and help the man. A relationship that begins with her father and eventually and possibly moves to her husband. Women tend to find their security more in relationships. Okay? I'm I'm not, as was pointed out earlier, I'm not talking about all women must submit to all men or anything like that. I'm saying what's built into women is different than men in, in, in the way that we relate to one another. Relationships are very important to women in a way that they are not to a man. Men don't care about relations. No, I'm joking. Uh, it's just different the way we, re- we view them. Women still fight like men for security, but they do more, they fight more psychologically than physically. It's kind of funny. You watch two little boys, and I did this growing up, and you did, it's just natural. Little boys go out, and they're playing around. All of a sudden, one gets mad at the other. And they go fist to cuff. Boom, boom, boom. They get up. They walk off. They're, they're big buds. They're best friends. No, no grudges. No anything. Handle it physically. Bam! And it's over. Alright? Just take it out to the gravel. Get it done. Let's go. Uh, sometimes with my boys, they would, they would want to, you know, they would argue and argue and argue and I'd say, put on the gloves. Have boxing gloves. And of course, they never could finish it because by the time they got to doing it, they were laughing so hard at one another. It solved everything. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, but anyway it's, it's one of those things with the boys, it's something like that. But with girls, females in generally, they tend to fight more psychologically. They fight more relationally. When security is threatened, the weapons of a woman's warfare are powerful and can be used to injure in deeper ways than black eyes and cuts and bruises. Because life won't matter if I don't have these relationships. And threats to those relationships creates fear that leads to psychological warfare that can be self-directed or directed toward other females. See, while males have some fear of 
uh, of being left out or some fear of missing out. FOMO and FOBO. <laughs> the problem is more acute in females. Girls will purposely get into cliques and leave other girls out. And if you're not secure in who you are in Christ, it can create, as it has in countless thousands of females in the West, anxiety and depression. It's been, knowing I was going to do this, I've been watching you girls. <laughs> and it is good to see how you're relating to one another. It is encouraging. So I'm not saying this as a problem here. I'm talking about just in general so that you can see it. You may not face this as much in your churches, but who knows, you may. There is a great possibility of facing it if you happen to work with other women. If you're not going to face it in your church, you get into, you get into relationships with other women on the work, in, in the workplace, and things can get catty pretty quickly. Psychological warfare can be <laughs> pretty intense. So it's helpful to know the cultural dynamics in order to recognize it and not fall prey to it. In The Coddling of the American Mind, the, the authors say that anxiety and depression is rising rapidly, especially in females in the iGen or millennial generation. Females are suffering in our society at a greater growing rate than males. Now, there's always been this dynamic, but now it has been intensified. It's been intensified mainly, as I'm going to point out through social media, but why do girls suffer most? Especially why do they suffer now more intensely through things like social media? As Lukanoff and Hyatt say, social media presents a curated, curated versions of lives and girls may be more adversely affected than boys by the gap between appearance and reality. They see that. They have a tendency, you have a tendency to fantasize and want this Disney type life and a little, a little bit more than guys. And you see what's going on and there's this fear of missing out. You see what these other girls are doing. You see that they've all had a party and you aren't invited. Sometimes that's purposeful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they put this stuff on social media in order to antagonize the ones they didn't invite. Seeing images of friends together and not being invited is a weaponization. It can be a weaponization of social media. Again, girls tend to fight psychologically. They are relationally aggressive. And as Hyatt and Luganoff say... They're relationally aggressive and they try to hurt their rivals' relationships, reputations, and social status. When your security is found primarily in these relationships, when they define who you are and where you are safe, their loss leaves you exposed and unsafe and creating anxiety, depression, and all these sorts of things. Excuse me, again, this may not be as big a problem in our circles, though I do not think it's non-existent. But... Since we're here, since we've talked about it, since we've been very open about marriage and matchmaking and all those things, there can be fears related to marriage. Security and marriage, we need to avoid the evil twin sisters. Not the ones of glory, but the ones of marriage. Number one, the first sister, I will not be secure unless I am married. 
the fear of never being married or losing marriage once you have it can be very powerful. It can drive you. Life is not meaningless for a Christian woman if she is not married. I certainly encourage and hope that you all marry. I, in this I follow with Paul who in 1 Timothy 5.14 when he was dealing with widows especially with younger widows he said I would have younger widows marry bear children manage households so I want you to that's what I want, that's what I want you to do but singleness that comes through never being married or widowhood is still a life that matters because these gifts can be used for the kingdom so be careful of that evil sister. The other one is, I will find my security in pursuing my desire, my dreams before marriage. In other words, you make too much of marriage or you make too little of it. Okay? Because most of us are indeed called to be married. Fear of being married and losing yourself in your personal career ambitions, your dreams, by becoming a wife and mother can be a real thing. It can be a real thing even in our circles. Fear of not being able to support yourself if you never marry or marry and lose your husband can be a real thing. And daddies are scared of it. And you may be scared of it. This is not... I'm not talking about the woman who desires to be married but doesn't have the opportunity, but the one who avoids marriage, rejecting men in the prime of her life for the sake of pursuing more education or other career goals. It may be that you want to delay marriage so that you can pursue your dreams of what? This is, this is fear of missing out. This is fear of being left out that has been communicated by a feminist agenda in the West. That marriage and having children should be an additive to your life to kind of, kind of wrap up all the things that you really wanted to do. And now you... Now, now, because the biological clock is ticking and you really want to add a child to your life or something like that, now is the time to get married after you've really accomplished everything, after you've searched and whatever this means, after you've found yourself. I find myself every morning in the mirror. It's not always pleasant. <laughs> now, there is this idea that this is better than marriage and children. That if you get married, you're going to miss out on something in your 20s. Live life now in your 20s and worry about all that marriage and all that stuff later. I want to go hiking across Europe. Okay? This is the young lady who thinks that men will fawn over her at whatever age after she has accomplished all that she wants to accomplish. She's in for a rude awakening. Many of the good guys have already moved forward and found someone to marry while you were having fun or while you were pursuing your dreams. Stay open while you're pursuing things to a man interrupting your life, interrupting your career goals, interrupting your education, interrupting anything. Okay? The security of your career will not fulfill your deep needs as a woman whom God has created with very special gifts to have and nurture children, for example. <clears throat> I probably don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you because preachers always state the obvious. Biological clocks are real. And you're going to come to a time in your life 
if while that biological clock is ticking, that you're going to get anxious. You need to know that. Just giving you perspective. Think about that while you're at this point in your life and not when you get there. Okay? Because that career or whatever else, what letters you have behind your name or whatever, is not going to provide all that you think it will. So God didn't create you to be oriented to the world in the same way as a man. Consequently, your fear of losing yourself in marriage, whether through marrying too early or at all, is completely unfounded. Marriage is a place where you come to find yourself. You will never know yourself better than in marriage. Okay? You don't know yourself. You get married, all of a sudden you find out a lot about yourself you did not know before. You're not near as nice as you think you are. Okay? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is. Um, I talked to Ben's wife. Anyway. <laughs> so, and, and so you, you'll, you'll get to know yourself more in marriage than you will in a career or anything else. Now, I'm closing this out. A word to young ladies uh, concerning dads and marriage. I say all this. And I've said, I, I've said what I've said about your pursuit of marriage. And I stand by it. But you have a challenge that young men don't have. And that is your dad. Okay? For young men, the challenge is your dad. Okay? In our circles, dads play a prominent role in whether or not you enter into a relationship that moves toward marriage. And that is good. That's proper. One of the reasons, I mean, there are numerous reasons for that, theological, but there are also some very down-to-earth reasons. Your dad can see things in young men that you can't see. He's, he's the man who loves you. He's looking out for you. That is to protect you. This is your first relationship with a man. And he's there to guard you. He's there to protect you. There are times, however, that we dads can have a tendency to be overprotective, to raise impossible standards for any suitor who comes along wanting our little girl. Because our little girl is the best one in the whole wide world. And there's only one guy out there who hasn't been born yet <laughs> who is good enough for my little girl. He may even be encouraging you to delay marriage until you gain a certain level of education or career status or training or goals or whatever. And you may be dutifully following your dad. As I mentioned in another lecture, no authority is absolute. If you have certain desires or questions as to why this guy is not okay or why you must wait until a magical age or a certain achievement, you can and should respectfully question your dad and talk to him about it. I'm not saying be belligerent. I'm not saying go off on him or anything like that. I certainly wouldn't encourage that. But talk to your dad. I'm a dad of daughters. They're not scared of me. Are you? Sometimes. <laughs> Only sometimes. And dad will talk to you. I'm assuming. I'm not promoting rebellion. I'm saying that some of us dads need a little help when it comes to our daughters. Approach it. Talk to it. Tell him what you think and what you desire. 
if you think he's being overly stubborn, get mom to talk to him. <laughs> okay? Get some help. Call in reinforcements. In extreme situations, you may even want to talk to your pastor just to see if you are off base concerning your desires in general or for a particular guy. If your dad and pastor agree, you're in trouble there. <laughs> because I agree with your pastor all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, if your dad and pastor agree, then you're probably off base. All right, but your pastor may want to talk to your dad. And say, hey, but you know what's going on? And he he just may have some unfounded fears. He he, he, may, he may really see some things. But again, sometimes we dads need help. Again, especially when it comes to our daughters, we're ready to get our sons out. <laughs> Go. You eat too much. <laughs> Leave. But daughters, not so much. I don't want you to live with unnecessary frustration. Okay? I got So, in conclusion, security and the desire for it is given to us by God, taken and twisted by sin, and restored to us in Christ. We are safe in Christ. And so pursue relative security in relationships, finances, jobs, and other such things. And do so. Take risks. Do so with vigor and appropriate fearlessness. Knowing that you and all that you do are secure in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the security that we have in Christ. And pray that you would help us to work from that security. Take the risks that you have called us to take and taking dominion, to take chances in doing things for the kingdom that you've called us to do. Now I pray that you would keep us through the rest of this night and we thank you that we can both lie down in peace and sleep because you alone, O Lord, are our safety.